arrived at uh, 2022. Uh, good, perhaps. Lots of us are thinking to leave 2021 behind for all sorts of reasons, but so many opportunities as we head into a new year. Well, I was thinking back a little bit in preparation for this morning, back to the summer of uh, last year, when at a leadership team and a staff team away day, we coined together what we thought was a new word. Um, at the time, we were discussing which words best described a fully sold out follower of Jesus. And we came up with two particular words that stuck out to us. The first was the word committed, and the second was the word devoted, or commitment and devoted. Now, by fusing together these two words, you get a new word that we thought we'd coined, which is devoted plus commitment equals devotement. There's our new word, devotement. Now, I was already um, planning my best-selling book uh, that was going to top the Christian charts, but then that evening, I googled the word devotement to discover that the word already existed, which was rather frustrating. Apparently, devotement is an archaic noun, meaning the fact of being devoted, the fact of being Devoted. Isn't that brilliant? A disciple of Jesus is, fact, a devoted being. A disciple of Jesus is a devoted being. Well, devotement's going to be our focus for the next four weeks or so as we kick off our New Year teaching series. And in this series, we're going to be thinking about those things or taking a fresh look at those things in our faith that can very easily become stale. And this morning, we're thinking about the call to remember, a call to remember. Well, back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12, we read for the first time about the institution and the instruction of the Passover meal. Verse 14 of Exodus 12 says this, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. It will be a lasting ordinance. Through the voice of Moses, God's chosen people were first given what has to be one of the most important instructions that was ever given by God to his Old Testament people, the instruction to remember, or we might say to not forget. The instruction was a simple one, wasn't it? Understand why on a regular basis you are observing this Passover meal that you engage in week in, week out. In other words, don't engage with this Passover thoughtlessly or without consequence, but remember everything that God has done for you and do it with the right attitude. In essence, God is saying to his people, if commemoration of the Passover doesn't lead to worship and to wonder, then you're doing it wrong. If your faith journey is lifeless and it's boring, then start doing it differently because something that should be fresh has become stale. Well, God's challenge to his people back in Exodus is essentially the same challenge which I sense God is giving to us at the beginning of 2022. Don't let the journey of faith become unthinkingly mundane, routine, or tedious. Remember. Remember and remember again what I've done for you, because remembering is what's going to nurture your devotion to me as you head into 2022. Now, of course, there are some life habits, aren't there, which are routinely automatic, and thankfully, they're rather reflexive. We don't need to remember to do them. Breathing, some of us doing that right now without thinking, smiling, frowning, blushing. I can't tell if you're doing those things actually at the moment behind your face coverings. Maybe, hopefully, you are. 
Queuing, of course, is something that we Brits love to do just automatically. We join the biggest queue we can possibly find. How many of us, when we wake up in the morning, reflexively reach for our phones to check our messages the moment we wake up? Even those things in life that once were all-consuming, like driving a car or learning to play a musical instrument, can eventually be done without thought. But not so with your journey of faith, says God. The routine things of our lives, I guess, have the potential of being something that we habitually do, or worse, we just end up taking for granted, giving little thought to the reason behind why we do those things. And that is especially true when it comes to our journey of faith. Perhaps then it's not surprising then that God gives such a strong challenge in in Exodus for his Old Testament people not to do the journey of faith on autopilot or robotically. And then it's a challenge which Paul repeats in our text today with a different but related set of circumstances in the New Testament with even greater clout. And as Paul speaks this morning, he's talking about sharing communion or sharing in the Lord's Supper. Communion can very easily become, can't it, one of those just-do things where we just monthly, as a church community, go through the rhythm and the routine of sharing in communion without giving too much thought about the why as to why we are doing it. I wonder how often in our church services we've raced through communion so that we can go home or so we can get to the end of the service or focus on a different aspect of our worship. I know I've been guilty of that. Perhaps we've been guilty of that. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinth. Be warned, this is a bit like a, uh, the tone of a parent telling off a naughty child. It's 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. I'm going to read from verses 17 to 22, and then I'm going to jump from 29 down to, to or 27 down to 30. It says this, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not on this matter, verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Difficult words to hear, aren't they? You see, what we have here is a church that whenever they were meeting together, that gathering was bringing out their worst sides and not their best sides. There was divisiveness and competition, criticizing one another. There was gluttony. There was even drunkenness. Paul accuses them here in our text of desecrating God's church and being right royally self-centered. A body of believers who had unthinkingly forgotten who they were, whose they were, and what Jesus had done for them. It's not a pretty sight, is it? Paul says, look, if you give no thought or worse, you don't even care about the broken body of Jesus when you eat and drink, 
then you're running the risk of some really serious consequences. Stop it, he says. The heart of Paul in this moment is this call to remember. Why? Because to quote the words of Matt Redman in a worship song, remembrance leads us to worship. And as we worship Jesus, our worship leads to communion, or we might say closeness or intimacy. Remembering leads us to worship, which leads to intimate communion. If that isn't the outcome of our gathering and our worship, especially as we gather around the table, then we're doing it wrong, or perhaps more likely with wrong attitudes or wrong motives. So I want to ask the question this morning, why is it that we're invited to this table this morning? Why this morning will we once again take broken bread and drink from this cup? Three things, surprise, surprise. Perhaps the first and the most obvious call of the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper or Holy Communion or the Passover or the Eucharist, however you might want to know this meal, is that it causes us to routinely remember something which is far from routine, which we might otherwise have amnesia about, the death of Jesus on the cross. Let me read verses 23 to 25. Listen to how Christ-centric these verses are. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Eat in remembrance of me. Drink in remembrance of me. Paul's clarion call to the church here in Corinth was this, that whenever you think of Jesus, remember Jesus who broke bread and poured out wine as a prophetic statement that was drawing attention to this gruesome death and his ultimate purpose that he would endure the following day. What was the purpose? It was all about salvation for humankind. And as we take the bread and as we take the wine today, it's an invitation It's an invitation to remember, to remember something that we might otherwise forget. It's an invitation to remember Christ who died for us. I wonder how much time in your faith journey, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've ever invested thinking and studying this aspect of Jesus' ministry, even if it's a difficult aspect of his ministry to hold really interesting to me that the gospel writers seem to recognize the importance of remembering the death of Jesus. About a third of the the gospels are about the death of Christ. Half of Mark's gospel is about his death. Much of the rest of the New Testament is um, dedicated to explaining why Jesus had to die. So why? Why so much attention on the death of Jesus? Well, the answer is obvious, but it's good to remind ourselves of it. Because it's the death of Jesus which is the solution to the problem of our sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. The wages or the payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. In our scripture reading this morning, Paul is saying, look, the message of Christianity is overwhelmingly good news. And the good news is this, is God loves you and God loves me. That's the good news of Christianity. And God doesn't just leave us with a broken relationship because of our sin, but he's chosen to do something about it in the, place, in the purpose of his son. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, 
that he sent his one and only son to do something about the problem of sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, by his death, you have been healed. So firstly, communion helps us to remember the death of Jesus. Every time we share in this meal, we come back and we recall the death of Jesus. It's good not to forget it. Secondly, communion is an invitation, and it's an invitation to participate totally. Way back in the the days of black and white, if you can remember back that far, 1988, uh, Nike came up with an advertising slogan that they're still using to this day. It simply said, just do it. Just do it was their slogan. They were basically encouraging everyone individually and together in teams to participate in sports activities. Of course, their goal was to sell their clothing, but nonetheless, there was an encouragement to to join in. Jesus' invitation to his first disciples and then Paul's invitation to the church in Corinth is essentially the same. Just do it. Do it individually and do it together. You see, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, we know, don't we, is not a spectator sport. It demands our full participation. It demands active living. It it demands energetic involvement. Billy Graham once famously said this, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's something in which we become totally, totally involved. I really like that word totally. It's a wholehearted response, isn't it, to the one who gave everything for you and for me. The disciples were there with Jesus in that upper room as he took the bread and as he broke it. They watched as he poured out the wine into the cup. But Jesus didn't stop there. He gave it to them and asked them to become participant in this meal. Take, eat, this is my body. Drink from it, would you please, all of you, participate with me. Now remember at this point, the disciples had already been active participants in Christ's ministry. After this point, Jesus would go on to commission them to fulfill the same mandate he had for his own life, to go and make disciples. It's obvious from the way that Jesus did mission mission and ministry and invited others around him that Christianity was never supposed to be a spectator sport. So when we share in communion together, it's more than just a commemoration or a recalling of the past, although it is that. It's a communion by which, through participation, we share in its present benefits. What do I mean by that? Well, just if you look back one chapter into chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 16, Paul makes this point. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? You see, this table today, when we come to it in a small, in a mysterious way, is a present participation, an active engagement, if you like, in the historic death of Christ, which happened 2,000 years ago. Well, if you can get your head around that, well done. There's something incredibly mysterious about that. But when we share in this bread and in this wine, we somehow, Paul says, participate in the death of Christ. It's an invitation for us this morning to participate in the death of Jesus. But more than that too, to go on in this mission to make disciples. 
The simple truth is this. You and I are not going to become more devoted followers of Jesus by being spectators as we head into 2022. It requires our participation because the gospel is not something to be passively absorbed, but rather it's something that demands action in our lives. Perhaps the challenge, metaphorically speaking, as we enter into this year is to exchange our sofas for our running shoes, a spiritual kind of uh, couch to 5K, if you like that analogy. Now, this race, this run is going to require some endurance. It's not always going to be easy, but Paul reminds us elsewhere in Scripture that there's a prize for joining in with this race. He tells us to run towards Jesus, never taking our eyes off of him because Jesus ran the race first as the author, the perfecter of our faith. Now is the time for us to participate. Jesus wants us to get up and to run with him. I wonder how that feels to you. Fancy a jog this morning? The invitation is to run with Jesus. Now, running might not be for all of us, so I wonder what it looks like to run with him or to participate. Maybe there's a challenge for us to actively join in the mission of Jesus this morning by beginning with this present participation in his death as we come to the communion table. Maybe for some of us today, we do that for the first time. Participation for others of us might instead mean not only attending church, important as that is, but perhaps start serving in one of the ministries of the church or with the Food Bank Plus or perhaps with the Water Lily Project. It's so encouraging to me every week to get reference requests for people who are volunteering in these different activities. Maybe it means some of us praying for those who we know are struggling. It could mean going on a mission trip or supporting Esther as we send her off next week. It might mean choosing to study scripture on a daily basis or committing to join one of our small groups. Maybe it's about getting baptized during 2022. Maybe it's about sharing as we have opportunity with family and friends. So many ways we can join in. But do you know in truth, this actual, this participation thing really is as simple as this. It's as simple as hearing the words that Jesus would speak to us and then putting them into practice. Everything else will flow from that response. If only we can hear the voice of Christ speak to us today. Paul reminds the church in Corinth, the first step to participation is faith in the death of Jesus. But our faith must go beyond the symbols and the bread and the wine to the reality they represent to live the life that he calls us to live because of what they represent. So what does this meal, which we'll share in together shortly, represent? Well, firstly, it's about remembering thinkingly. Secondly, it's about participating totally. And finally, it means sharing togetheringly. I'm sorry, I had to make up that word um, because I couldn't think of another word that began with T and ended with L-Y. Share togetherly. I wonder if you noticed as I read those scripture verses to us, did you notice how many times Paul uses that verb or action words of come together in relation to the Lord's Supper? Five times he uses those words. Now, whenever something's repeated over and over again in scripture, you can be sure that it really, really matters to the heart of God. And this is one of those things that really matters to the heart of God. Now, as I've said, unfortunately, at this moment, Paul is not using this verb come together in praise of their attitudes and actions. If anything, it's quite the opposite. He's challenging their fractions and their strife, their differing attitudes and their ideas. He's challenging their drunkenness and their greed. 
Just after Paul spoke about participation, the chapter before, in chapter 10, listen to what he says in the next breath. So here's those first verses about participation. Is it not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? There is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. Because we share in one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. This this theme really mattered to Paul, that sense of togetherness. So this morning, we come to this table as we begin 2022 as a church family. We come not merely as individuals, but too, we come as a united body of believers, the family of Christ. We should celebrate that at the beginning of a new year, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're family, that we're a body. There is something amazing that defines us as a church community. It's all too easy, isn't it, to come to the table as an individual But this morning, Paul reminds us, yes, that's true. You need your individual faith in Christ to receive from this table. But to this morning, we come together as a community, as a family. We share togetherly, is what Paul meant to say in the text. Of course, this table is temporary. We heard that in verse 26. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One day, these symbols of bread bread and wine will give way to a much better reality. One day, we will see our Savior face to face. But until that day, we're called to remember thinkingly, to participate totally, and to share togetherly with a sense of devotement. I want to close with some words which seem so appropriate this morning from Desmond Tutu, who died earlier this week. He said this, in the end, what matters is not how good we are, but how good God is. Not how much we love him, but how much he loves us. And God loves us, whoever we are, whatever we've done or failed to do, whatever we believe or can't believe, God loves us this morning. And maybe that's the most important message to hear this morning as we come to the table. Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves me to the point he was willing to give his life for the forgiveness of our sins. What a saviour. Let's pray together.